Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up by some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All whoever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and am known by my own. And Father, we humbly pause and just ask, help us now as we open the word of God together. We believe, Lord, that we need to hear from you in our lives and that you are a God who speaks to us in your love for us and your desire to help us and to lead us and guide us. So, Lord, prepare us to hear what you want to say this morning. Take away the things that would hinder or distract us from hearing your voice speaking to us through your word. Bless this time we ask and speak to us now by your spirit we ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. You may be seated. Now, is it possible today that you could perhaps need a little bit of guidance in some way for your life? I'm sure that may honestly describe a number of us in this room this morning. And I want you to know if that's so, that you need a little bit of guidance for your life that there are answers in this passage for you as we look at it together regarding Jesus being a shepherd of us as his sheep. In the Bible, we find various different metaphors that God uses to basically picture himself and his desired relationship that he intends to have with people. For example, we have the metaphor of God being a father and us being like a child. We have the metaphor of the husband and the wife to picture the love relationship that God wants to have with us in an intimate way. We have the image of the potter and the clay and the image as well of a master and a servant. And here we also see throughout the Bible that God likens himself to a shepherd and he likens people unto themselves as being sheep. In fact, for example, other passages you may remember like this, Psalm 23, certainly there says, the Lord is my shepherd. In Psalm 100, we have there the description of how God has created us and our lives belong to him. And therefore it says, we are the sheep of his pasture. 
In Isaiah chapter 40, we have there a reference where it says, Behold, the Lord God will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Ezekiel 34 tells us this. The Lord says, As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered. And then later in Isaiah, or excuse me, Ezekiel 34, God says this, and I will establish one shepherd over them and he shall feed them. Now, as you look at the history of the nation of Israel, God as the chief shepherd would often throughout history appoint human shepherds to serve, if you would, as under shepherds, spiritual leaders to help care for God's precious flock on his behalf. Yet tragically, those human under shepherds oftentimes throughout history failed their intended role and they didn't perform the care and the love and the tending of God's people they were supposed to. So because of that, God prophesied that he was sending one ultimate shepherd, one final shepherd, a good, a great shepherd who was everything that every human soul would need. And this, I believe, in our chapter this morning is what Jesus is now describing, how he was the personal fulfillment of that. He was that one true good shepherd that every human soul needs. In fact, Hebrews 13 identifies Jesus as the great shepherd of the sheep. Peter, when he writes in 1 Peter chapter 2 and 5, refers to Jesus as the chief shepherd and the overseer of our souls. And this, I believe, is what Jesus is trying to convey now as we look at our verses. Look back with me in verse 1. And again, let's read verses 1 to 5 as Jesus gives this illustration, as it tells us. He says there, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up by some other way, is a thief and a robber. He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but they'll flee from him for they do not know the voice of the stranger. So here in verse one to five, we have exactly what verse six tells us was an illustration Jesus was using. He was trying to paint a picture. And the illustration Jesus is using here was a common thing that people would understand in his day and could relate to. It was the process of shepherding sheep, whereby a shepherd, a human shepherd, would guide and tend and care for his flock. And it involved various different things which Jesus alludes to in verses 1 through 5 here. Things like sheep, like the shepherd himself, things like the sheepfold, which we'll talk about the enclosure he would put them in, and the threat as well of predators and thieves. Now from this illustration, let's kind of describe if we can a couple of the terms and things Jesus is talking about here because it helps to have a better understanding of the illustration he was trying to use. First of all, I think it'd be important to talk about the nature of sheep. Sheep, if you know anything about them, typically are what we would refer to as rather weak and defenseless and directionless animals. Uh, that is the nature of sheep by design. They don't do very good with independent decision-making on their own. 
Uh, sheep by nature can often be prone to make poor choices, to endanger themselves and others. They're prone to wander off naturally. This is what they are sort of uh, given to, uh, to get themselves into things they're not supposed to be involved in, problems, hurting themselves, and even can wander off and ultimately cause their own death as the result of that. They're not good, sheep aren't, by living safe or healthy if they're living independently. Sheep do much, much better thrive and survive when they stay among a flock of other sheep. It's often known by research as well that sheep are actually by design, God's created in this way, to be very relational creatures. They're very social. In other words, they need to be connected to other sheep in order to remain healthy. They're weak and vulnerable to predators that can take advantage of them. They don't have the capacity to defend themselves. You know, no such thing as Lambo. Okay, that, that doesn't exist, a foreign concept. They're not tigers or lions or bears. Uh, sheep are somewhat lazy, quite frankly, and they get sick and diseased and weary more easily, especially if they don't receive the necessary care that they need from the flock's existence and a shepherd helping them. Now, let me say this. Since God chooses, God, out of all the animal kingdom, to liken human beings to sheep, that tends to sort of give us a little bit of an idea to reveal it indicates God knows something about humanity. I don't think I have to connect the dots there. God knows that we are like sheep. Now, secondly, we also see here in the passage a reference to the shepherd of the sheep. And what would be the basic role of a shepherd? Well, the shepherd was to tend and care and guide for each individual sheep as well as tending to the flock as a whole. And those were sort of two things, but yet they jointly intersected to each other. Verse 3 and 4 tells us that he would call his own sheep by name and he would lead them out, that he goes before his sheep and that the sheep follow him and hear his voice. So it was the role of the shepherd to seek to understand each of his sheep individually to know their nature and their different temperaments to to be responsible to watch over the condition of the sheep individually but also collectively as a flock he was to lead and to guide the sheep and 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 direct them to where there were green pastures so they could remain healthy he was also to protect the sheep and make sure that their welfare was watched after, that nothing would come and harm them because they were very vulnerable. And of course, he was responsible to make sure they were well fed and supplied for. The third thing we see a reference to that's important to understand is the existence and usage of a sheepfold. You notice there in verse 1, there's a reference of how it says the shepherd would lead the sheep to enter a sheepfold by a door now a sheepfold could typically be one of two things it could either be a cave that they would utilize but at times also they would be what was basically a built stone enclosure with walls around it and one opening in fact we're going to put a picture up here for you just to kind of help you have a visual reference this would kind of be the idea of what a sheepfold would look like and we're going to leave this up for a little bit because it kind of helps you connect some of the dots of what Jesus is trying to illustrate here as you can see it would typically have stone walls usually a few feet high and then it would have one opening in order to enter in and to go out as well and that was purposeful 
And oftentimes shepherds would lead their flocks through the fields and the pastures. They would allow them to get the clean water they needed. But then as evening drew close, they would go to one of these local sheepfolds that would be in the midst of the field. And they would guide their sheep into there, obviously understandably, to protect them from predators, from wild animals, from wolves, as well as from local thieves that would want to steal and draw away the thief from the shepherd and that boundary protected the sheep from their propensity as well to wander off in the middle of the night because that's what they were prone to do so those boundaries also kept the flock together and it kept individual sheep from wandering off and getting themselves into trouble or harm and you'll notice that there was one opening or doorway in which often as Jesus references in our illustration here a doorkeeper would actually it seems sit within and many times would sort of camp there and sleep there overnight now the purpose of that usually what was twofold and this person who was the doorkeeper sometimes was an assigned individual but many a times as we'll see as Jesus says the shepherd himself would actually sit or sleep in the doorway like that for again twofold purpose one to make sure that no sheep got out and to make sure that nothing that wasn't supposed to be inside to harm the sheep could possibly get in and do that which brings us as well to what jesus is describing in these first five verses which is the threat of selfish and dangerous predators you notice he mentioned there in verse one the existence of those which are called thieves and robbers which would climb in by some other way rather than coming through the access point of the door uh, they came in with selfish intentions to get something for themselves and two different words he uses there thieves and robbers a thief refers to someone who wants to take or steal something and they do it by stealth they're sneaky and they try and, if you would, not be caught in what they're doing and what they're after. A robber, different term Jesus uses, refers to a person who also would take something for themselves, but they would just do it by brute force, what we might call today a, a mugger. You know, someone who would just abusively use force. They didn't care about deceiving. They were just cruel in their actions and they would still take what they wanted, but they would do it with hurtful force and hurt people openly in what they're doing the point is it was an accepted and known fact that sheep were always vulnerable they were easy prey and they were easily preyed upon and because of that sheep by nature needed to know they were always in jeopardy and shepherds knew that that was a reality so the safest thing that a sheep could learn was one simple thing to simply stay in close relationship with its shepherd. If a sheep could just learn to stay in close relationship with a shepherd, that was the primary key to that sheep's health, to its survival, to its welfare. And if a sheep stayed among the flock and close to the shepherd, it would basically have a blessed life to the extent that it did that. Of course, the relationship here between the shepherd and the sheep, as Jesus is going to speak to us, pictures what Jesus intends for you and I as people, as he is a good shepherd and we are like sheep. And again, the true shepherd had good intentions towards the sheep when he entered into service. That's why Jesus mentions in verse 2 there how the good shepherd, the true shepherd, would enter by the door, not like the thieves or robbers, uh, to enter in 
to be with his sheep. Again, the genuine shepherd did not have impure motives in what he was doing to take care of the sheep. This was the difference we'll see between the thieves and robbers and the shepherd. The perspective of the thief or the robber was that the sheep existed for them. The sheep existed for them and for what they wanted and what they could get out of the sheep. The shepherd's mentality was the exact opposite. He believed that he existed for the sheep and that he was there to basically provide for their welfare, to help and care for them, and he did what he did to make their lives better. You notice in Jesus' description as well here, the relationship of intimacy that there was between the shepherd and sheep. It says there that he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out of the sheepfold. Sometimes the reason for that was because, again, if you can envision in our picture here, sometimes there was a sheepfold in the middle of a field and multiple shepherds with their own flocks would share and use the same sheepfold. Now, what do you do? You have all these sheep mingled together. So uh, in the morning when Shepherd Bob gets up, how does he get his sheep out and make sure that it's only his sheep and not the other sheep? Well, this is where the intimacy between a sheep and the shepherd was very important is that there was a very close connection that shepherds developed with their sheep. And as a result of that, the shepherds would actually name their sheep. They made certain sounds. The voice of that shepherd was distinguished by the sheep. So in the morning, that shepherd knew which sheep were his and which sheep were not. And those sheep knew who was their shepherd and who was not their shepherd. So they would listen to the voice of their shepherd because of that personal interest and relational intimacy that existed between them. Jesus says here that the sheep would hear the shepherd's voice and recognize it. He would communicate to them in a language that the sheep could understand. And he was always communicating with each sheep and his flock to give guidance and warning and comfort in a way they could understand. The shepherd also provided guidance and direction for their daily lives. You notice what Jesus says there in verse 4, how he calls his own sheep, leads them out. And it says when he brings them out, he goes before them and then they follow him for they know his voice. So again, this indicates in the illustration how the shepherd would provide direction and guidance to the sheep. And he sought the way out that was best for them and gave guidance continually. And really all the sheep had to do, it was really simple, was just trust the leadership of his shepherd. That's all the sheep had to do was trust that the shepherd knew best and that the shepherd would direct them when and where to go, when and where not to go. And he would help them stay on path and find the right way and lead them to green pastures and still waters and keep them out of dangerous and harmful things. How wonderful that the sheep did not have to figure things out. They didn't have to figure out for themselves where should we go and where shouldn't we go. All they had to do was just follow the wise shepherd that wanted to provide guidance for their life in every way, daily and intimately. Now, verse 5, therefore, look what Jesus says, yet they will by no means follow a stranger, <clears throat> Excuse me, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. Now, interesting, the voice of strangers. Interesting that Jesus is pointing out this reality that sometimes there would be strange voices that would seek to draw away the sheep from following their true shepherd and being where they could be healthy and safe and blessed. But even a sheep, if it was just discerning enough to recognize that voice is strange, that's not the voice of of my shepherd. Yes, I hear a voice, 
But that is not the voice of my shepherd. And a sheep could know that it could keep itself healthy and safe. So look with me. Let's go on in verse 6. We could take the picture down if you want now, Jay. It says, Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. So Jesus was speaking these things to try and portray what was happening among Israel in that day. And the thing he was trying to allude to, though they didn't grasp it at first, was how the Jewish religious leaders were not functioning like God's shepherds in the way they were treating the people and caring for them, that God had allowed them to have, if you would, stewardship over. Rather, they were acting much more like the thieves and the robbers. They were treating the sheep as if somehow the sheep were for their benefit or were there for their existence and they were relating to God's people and treating God's people in ways that were cruel and harsh. Certainly they weren't helpful in regards to spiritual matters and there was no real lover concern in the hearts of the religious leaders for the people in that day in Israel. In fact, if you were with us last time in Bible study, most recently that was evidenced in the experiences of chapter 9, remember, in how the religious leaders related to that man who would healed of his blindness. Remember, we saw that. How they were so cruel to this guy. They excommunicated him and they were uh, insulting him and treating him harshly and cruelly. And what happened by the end of the chapter? Jesus lovingly came when he was cast out and he found him. And Jesus drew him to himself in love and Jesus revealed himself to him like a weary and lost sheep and provided spiritual direction for his life. Now, using this metaphor, verse 1 to 5, they didn't get it. And doesn't that make you feel good? They didn't get it. Boy, it's, it's so helpful. Perhaps some of you today, you're saying, I read the Bible sometimes and I just don't get it. Join the gang. The good thing is Jesus knows that. He knows they didn't understand the illustration, so he says, okay, they need a little more guidance and direction. Verse 7, so Jesus said to them again, let me break it down for you, he's going to say, most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door, and if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture the thief, Jesus says, does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Now, using this whole imagery of the sheep and the shepherd and the sheepfold and the door they would enter in, Jesus now is going to identify himself as, as representing two things in this imagery, the door as well as representing himself as the shepherd. And that's wonderful that Jesus is more than just one thing. Quite honestly, he's everything. He's whatever we need. So the first thing he refers to himself as in the stories, he identifies himself as that door for the sheep. He repeats two times the claim. You see it there for emphasis in verse 7. And then again in verse 9, Jesus refers to himself directly as the door for the sheep. Now remember, in that sheepfold image we talked about, the door or doorway was the one and only access point or entry point to go in and out for the sheep. A door, any kind of door, we could simply say is just a point of access. That's what a door does. The function of a door is to be the way or means of entering into something. So what the Bible is showing us here, as Jesus says this, is in spiritual life, in all things, Jesus is the doorway. 
Jesus is the one true doorway into everything that is true and genuine and real spiritually. He is the door. Jesus is going to say in chapter 14, I am the way to the Father in heaven. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you want access to the Father in heaven to eternal life, then he says the doorway to get there is through me. It's not through some church. It's not through religious efforts. It's through a person. The access point, the entry point, is through knowing Jesus himself. Hebrews 7 tells us that we must continually come to God through Jesus in all the areas of our spiritual relationship. So everything we can and must experience in spiritual life, it comes through the entry point of Jesus. By coming to Jesus initially in salvation, by coming to Jesus continually in fellowship and relationship. Again, let me emphasize, it is not through a particular church. It's not through a particular worship system. And sometimes, you know, we, we've talked to people or maybe you've said, hey, so, you know, are you a Christian? Do you know the Lord? Well, well I'm a this. And they'll claim a denomination, right? Or some, I, that's not what I'm asking you. Because when you get to heaven, nobody's going to say that the Methodist died on the cross for you. Or, or, or the Baptists or the Calvary Chapelites or the Catholics. No, Jesus died on the cross for you. Are you a Christian? Do you know Jesus? That's all that's going to matter. That's the key. These other things are names and labels of different expressions of worship. But what matters most is Jesus because he's the doorway. He's the doorway into everything spiritual and eternal. And again, it's not through a pastor. It's not through a priest. It's not through a person. We don't come to God through another person. If that was the case, then Jesus didn't need to do what he did for us. Jesus said, I am the way. There's one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. You don't need to come to God through another spiritual leader. You can come to God directly through Jesus. This is the whole intention of what God wants for us. It's through the person of Jesus, not a ritual or anything else. Everything happens through an experience with him, coming directly to Jesus as the doorway because he alone has the key to open everything of spiritual and eternal life. Jesus alone has the key to open the doorway to salvation and forgiveness of your sins, to open the doorway to have access into heaven. And everything you want in your life as a Christian is going to come through coming to Jesus. By coming to Jesus. Oh, Lord, I, I want to experience growth spiritually. I want to experience the baptism of the Spirit. I want to experience spiritual gifts. It all comes through Jesus. Get closer to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Enter into those things through Jesus. We're going to talk of some of the glorious benefits Jesus describes in these verses in a moment. But first, I want to draw your attention to notice that Jesus does caution in these verses that there are going to be those who will try and rip off or steal from everything good and, and harm our spiritual lives. You notice he mentioned there in verse 8 as he's giving this illustration the, the existence of, again, spiritual thieves and robbers who would be present and try and steal and rip people off. And the sad thing is those thieves and robbers spiritually were doing such under the banner of being the workers of the Lord, the servants of the Lord. He's referring here directly to those like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the priests and the, the scribes in that day, they weren't helping people spiritually. They actually were taking advantage of people spiritually 
and were robbing from them everything good that God wanted for their lives. And today, I'm sad to say it, but it's true, there are some who are doing the same under the banner of Christianity. There's nothing new under the sun. And there are those that are spiritual thieves and robbers. And some do this by sneaky and deceitful forms where they kind of try and hide who they really are, wolves in, in sheep's clothing, if you would, and are trying to hide what they really are, but they have an agenda and a sneaky way to get what they want among a vulnerable prey of God's flock. And there are others as well, not like thieves, but like robbers who exist in the realms of spiritual things who are basically just treating people horribly. And they have no love for people. And, and they look at people as a commodity. They look at people as customers. And if they can't get what they want from you, they'll toss you aside and get some new customers. And they can be very harsh and very cruel in their treatment. And they use folks for their own agenda. They see people as an opportunity for themselves. And that's all they see people for. But yet they function in roles at times even of spiritual leadership. Well, Jesus says further in verse 10, look at it, that he says, the thief does not come except, and he gets pretty brutally honest, to steal and to kill and to destroy. Now let me just say, there's probably no greater description of a chief thief among humanity who's behind all the hurtful and harmful things that happen than the devil himself. And, and Jesus describes here how the devil is indeed a masterful thief and he uses very sneaky and subtle ways to rob people, to uh, practice ways of lying and distracting people, to basically steal and destroy and ruin everything good in people's lives, to rip off humanity from God's best and God's blessings. Jesus describes here how the devil wants to steal everything good from our lives and how God intends for our life to really be. He wants to rob people of knowing what's true spiritually and he does a real good job of deceiving people subtly to rob them from what God's will and intention is for their life. The devil wants to steal the opportunity of people experiencing what God intends for them. As well, Jesus secondly says here that the devil wants to kill. To kill means to murder. It means to snuff out life in a very harsh and cruel way. And the devil is no doubt the one behind this. Listen, when you see the, the thrust of, of the practices of, of abortion, there's a spiritual current behind that. The devil is the one who is a murderer who wants to kill and destroy life. And he just subtly deceives people through the words and the ideas and the thoughts and the fears and all the things he creates that cause people in the midst of a crisis pregnancy to think it would be better to terminate and murder a life rather than the trust that somehow that life is from God and, and at least to spare it. And, and the devil is behind this, pushing these things, the propaganda, the advertisement. He wants to destroy life. The murders that we see in our culture, the, the harmful treatment. The devil wants to destroy and kill everything that's spiritual and eternal, the quality of our life. He wants to murder that. He wants to kill it and rip off life from people. The devil wants to, to put to death, if you would, the life in certain relationships. Well, I don't understand. I feel like the life is being snuffed out of my marriage. I can tell you who's behind that. And the enemy's not the person that you looked at and said, for better, for worse, in sickness and health, till death do us part. Because that's what you said to each other. Somebody else is trying to put to death that relationship now. Pay attention to who the real enemy is. 
The devil is the one who tries to destroy relationships that God intends to exist in families and friendships and churches. And the devil wants to destroy, it says here, Jesus says. The word destroy is pretty strong. It means to devastate, to ruin, to put an end to things, to, to do what he can, to, to devastate and tear things down. And I want to say this. Please hear me this morning. Just as God has a will for your life, so does the devil. In fact, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 that there are those who have been taken captive by the devil to do his will. God has a will for your life. It's a wonderful thing. You know what the devil's will is for your life? There it is for you in John chapter 10. Here's the devil's will for your life. He's a thief who wants to steal and to kill and to destroy everything good in your life. It's up to you. Whose will do you want? But the devil has an agenda. What's sad, and this is really sad, is sometimes he even accomplishes that agenda through spiritual leaders. This is what he's pointing out to us, and, and this is very tragic of all things. In fact, if you're a note taker, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13 to 15, Paul talks about Satan's ministers who masquerade as ministers of righteousness, but yet have Satan's agenda. 2 Peter 2 describes this. Parts of most of the New Testament letters describe these realities. And let me just say this morning, if you have been the victim of someone who was a spiritual leader who robbed or ripped off or hurt or abused you in some way, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you experienced that, but please, please hear me. Coming to Jesus is the doorway out of that. And it's the doorway into what God wants for you. Don't shrink back. Come to the Lord and let him help you. Now, having touched on that, let's kind of go back to this revelation of Jesus saying he's the door into the fold. What does that mean personally? Well, Jesus mentions a few things that are some of the benefits of if we enter in through him. There in verse 9, you see what Jesus says? I'm the door. And if anyone enters by me, so he's going to talk about some benefits now. If anyone enters by me, first benefit, Jesus says he will be saved. That is, in Jesus is the experience of preservation and deliverance, whereby we're saved from many different things. Certainly, most importantly, where we are spared from the penalty of our own personal sin. The wrath of God and the judgment of being banished in hell eternally forever where we will suffer torment as the result of our sin against a holy God because we all sin and fail. We've all offended God. Whether you feel you've done it smallly or you've done it greatly, everybody sins and everybody fails and our sin causes offense and we deserve punishment for our sin. And Jesus wants to spare us from that. He wants to save us from that. And only Jesus is the one who can rescue us from the punishment of our own sin and the judgment and sentence we deserve. How do we get released from the sentence of the crime of our own sins? Jesus says, if you enter by me, you'll be saved. You can be saved from that. You can be saved from that and more. You can have entry into the fold of God. But listen, not only does Jesus save and preserve us from what's spiritually and eternally destructive, but I'll tell you quite practically, Jesus also saves and preserves us from a lot of painful experiences in this life. If we follow him, living in ways that would lead to just unpleasant circumstances. 
where, where we, we, we see lives that are just ravaged by the choices that people make and, and, and how God has ripped off their understanding of what really matters and people make choices and decisions that lead to consequences and lives that are ruined and families that are devastated and all the problematic baggage and the severe regrets. Listen, Jesus says, if you come to me, I can save you from that kind of stuff. I can save you from a lot of battle scars. Listen, if you're a young person this morning, I can't beseech you. Please hear me. You don't need the battle scars. Please, some older adult, say amen. <laughs> you don't have to learn that way. You can be spared from problematic circumstances and regrets and severe pain and problems because Jesus can save you from that stuff. He can keep you from it by helping you instead, secondly, to live within his sheepfold. It says entering by the door of Jesus means we will go in and come out and find pasture. That pictures how Jesus gives guidance. Jesus gives guidance to our lives. He knows when and where it's right for us to go, how to keep us within the boundaries of his own sheepfold, when to lead us out, when to keep us in the boundaries. And again, the whole purpose of that is to keep our lives, like the shepherd with the sheep, within loving, wise boundaries that weren't meant to restrict the sheep and make it miserable. It was intended, listen, to enrich the lives of the sheep so that they would be kept in an enclosure, a set of boundaries, and those boundaries are what Jesus uses to keep us healthy and safe and blessed. And how wonderful to follow Jesus and to enter into a life with Jesus because everybody needs boundaries. Everybody needs boundaries. Boundaries have a purpose. People put fences up in their yard when they have little kids, not going to say, hey, hey, do you want to make the kids miserable? Let's spend $7,000 for one of them really expensive fences just so we can watch the kids be miserable so they can't get to the road and get devastated by it. Want to do it? Let's do it. Let's go in debt for it even. I mean, what parent does that? Boundaries are intended to keep things that are harmful out of your yard and away from your kids and to keep your kids in a set of boundaries where they can have fun and play and thrive and enjoy life and be everything God in a safe place where they're kept and where they're guarded. So again, Jesus letting him decide and direct the boundaries of our life, it's so helpful. He protects us, he guides us, he sustains us by giving to us what we need, helping us to find the green pastures, that is the good things for our lives, going in and out, finding what we want. And boy, that is a blessing too, that we don't have to, if we follow Jesus, strive and try and figure things out. But if we just let him direct our lives, we can experience what he provides and gives to us. And notice as well that coming to Jesus, we also find not just life, but a blessed and fulfilling life. Do you see what he says at the end of verse 10 there? He says, I've come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Do you, do you notice that? We find in Jesus the gift of not just life, greater life, the best possible life. Do you really think you could do better with your life than the God who created you can? I mean, it's just a silliness that we would ever think, oh, I'm going to be the captain of my own fate, the master of my own soul. I don't need nobody telling me what to do. I don't need Jesus and this churchy stuff and this Bible stuff. No, no, no. I know what I'm doing. All we like sheep have gone astray. You're not the first one that's done that. Don't be so proud of it. 
And we really think we're going to find something better for ourselves, wandering on the hills and the fields and going here and there. Jesus gives his glorious life unto us. Certainly it's true when Jesus says, I've come that they may have life. He's going to say later in the chapter, he refers to eternal life. And in Jesus, we find eternal and spiritual life. He gives us the eternal quality of his life so that we can experience a relationship with God and we can have access into eternal life after we die on this earth. But notice Jesus also grants an abundant quality of life. That's why he's saying in verse 10, I've come that they may have life, but have it more abundantly. The idea is it's speaking of a quality of life where there's inward fulfillment, an abundant life where there's the inward quality of peace and joy, a sense of contentment and satisfaction in contrast to hands that are full of stuff And you got every possession you could think of. You have accomplished everything you could. And you have all the experiences. And somehow that's how we in our American culture define, man, that's abundant life, dude. You got a lot of stuff. He who's got the most toys wins. You got a lot of stuff and a lot of titles and a lot of position and a lot of power. And you've checked and experienced everything under the sun. Read Solomon. Solomon tried everything out there under the sun. And he said it's all vanity, vanity, vanity. It's emptiness. And we can have our hands full of all kinds of stuff and yet have the most empty hearts with regret and and, and an inward sense of being miserable and dissatisfied. How wonderful that we can experience Jesus' offering an abundant quality of life. He says, look, I've come that you may have life. Not just life. I want to give you an abundant quality of life where you're fulfilled, where you can sit around your table... And you can just look at your family and say, I'm the richest human being on the earth. I got a great marriage and I got three kids who love the Lord and know the Lord. and I'm the richest king on this planet. And I got peace. I can put my head down on my pillow at night and not worry who's going to knock on my door or come after me because what I did or I'm going to get caught because of what I've been involved in. And, And I don't know, I can have fulfillment. Fulfillment. An an abundant quality of life where you can experience the things that really matter because what have you found? You found the life that Christ has for you instead of the life that you thought you needed to go pursue and find for yourself independent of Christ. How wonderful what Jesus offers. He speaks of himself as the door. The second thing we see is he identifies himself as well as the actual good shepherd. Look at verses 11 through 14 where he says that. I'm the good shepherd, he says also. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but a hireling who's not the shepherd, the one who doesn't know his own sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them and the hireling flees because he's a hireling and does not care about the sheep. But I am the good shepherd, Jesus said, and I know my sheep and am known by my own. So again, two times, no doubt for emphasis, verse 11. Then again, you see it in verse 14. Jesus refers to himself as I am the good shepherd. Again, as we said, in the Old Testament, the God of Israel identified himself as a shepherd. So what's Jesus doing again? He's making another claim of deity. That he is the ultimate good shepherd. He is God in flesh. And notice he calls himself a good, the idea is a a, a true, good quality shepherd in contrast to what? To a hireling, which he talks about there. 
Now look with me again back in verse 11 where Jesus says regarding himself as a good shepherd. He says the good shepherd, here's one quality, gives his life for the sheep. So Jesus indicates what makes him such a good shepherd for our lives as human beings is the very fact of how he was willing to sacrifice his own life for the benefit and the welfare of the sheep you and I that he cares for. Again, he's drawing the image from the shepherding process, how a good shepherd, because of how much he cared for his own sheep, would be willing to fight off any wolf or any predator or any threatening thing that came to harm or steal or kill the sheep. And if any such threat came against the sheep, he would be willing to stand in the way himself and suffer harm to himself, be hurt, however was necessary, even give up his own life in sacrifice because of his great love that he had for the sheep. He was not interested in his own welfare. He only cared about what was best for the sheep foremost and was willing to sacrifice anything, even willing to lose his own life. And of course, this pictures the love and care of Jesus for us as people. His incredible depth of love that he has for every one of us. There's no greater love anyone has than to lay down their life for the benefit of another. And this is exactly what Jesus was willing to do to make sure that we were spared from harm or anything that destroyed us. As a good shepherd, he poured out his life in love for us. It tells us in Ephesians 3 of the incomprehensible width and length and height and depth of the love of Jesus which passes knowledge. Again, the idea is that we can't even comprehend how massive, how incredible his love truly is for us. It's so far-reaching, and, and Jesus was willing to stand in the way to protect us and will continue to stand in the way to guard us from anything that would harm us. And he won't abandon us like the hireling would. He will stand with us no matter what comes against us. This is what Romans 8 is all about, where it tells us there, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And listen, we go through a lot of hard things in this life. And when we go through hard things in life, hard things in life make us feel like we're abandoned. And you may be here this morning and feeling like, I feel like I've just been abandoned. And, and I, I just, I don't know what's going to happen. And I feel so alone and so abandoned. Listen, nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus. Jesus will never abandon you. Not just because he won't abandon you for a wrong reason. He can abandon you because he's the living eternal God. He'll never die. He'll never cease. And no one can stop him or keep him away from you. He can be with you wherever you are, whatever you're doing for all of eternity. That's why it's the wisest thing in the world to accept, to embrace, and to come to the love of Jesus as a good shepherd who will be with you no matter what you go through. Now, verse 12 and 13 there, we read Jesus was showing that incredible love and dedication in contrast to the hireling he described there. The hireling, the word should indicate, is basically the hired hand. It would be somebody at times that a shepherd would pay some money to take care of his sheep but the sheep didn't belong to him, so he had little concern because the sheep for the hireling were just a paycheck. They were just his job. That's all they were. And so because of that, Jesus says, when the wolf for any threat comes, anything challenging or difficult or hard that required some level of personal cost or commitment, the hireling would instantly abandon the sheep and what's best for them and seek after what was best for his own welfare in the situation. This is the nature of a hireling. They'll desert their task of caring for the sheep and leave the sheep to just struggle and fend for themselves while they go chasing after what they want 
or what's best for them. So the sheep get caught and hurt and scattered that Jesus says the reason is, is because they didn't care for the sheep at all. They don't care for the sheep. They just care about themselves. And again, it was a picture, sadly, of the religious leaders in Jesus' day that he's describing and the lack of care they had. Again, it's the contrast of the great care, the opposite, that Jesus has. Look at verse 14. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and I'm known by my own. So again, that takes us back to that part of verse 3 and 4, the illustration describing that intimate personal relationship between the shepherd and the sheep how they recognize each other there's a personal connection and how jesus is to be the shepherd and we're the sheep he says here i know my sheep remember he said back in verse three and four that he called his sheep by name that tells us something this morning jesus knows you individually personally i want you to know this morning to jesus you're not just part of a general flock you are a special individual You're a unique person who he knows and you matter to him. He knows everything about you. He knows all that your life entails. He knows what you've been through. He knows what you're dealing with right now and what's best for your future. He knows your temperament and personality. Praise God for that. He knows your nature and your little quirks and idiosyncrasies. He knows what you're fearful of, what spooks you. He knows your propensity of of different things. He knows what you're prone to wander off after And he even knows how to do what he needs to do to bring you back when you do wander. He understands you fully and he knows how to relate to you properly and guide you specifically. Jesus knows you in that individual way and that's good news. That's why it's great to follow him. That's a safe thing to do. We need someone like that in our lives. And he says, not only do I know my sheep, but he says, I'm also known by my sheep. That is, we, when we follow Jesus as our good shepherd, get to know him not just as a good shepherd but like Psalm 23 the Lord is my shepherd he's my shepherd and as a result of that Jesus has spoken here of how his sheep will hear his voice and can I say this is one of the blessed benefits of following Jesus as our Lord and as our good shepherd is you begin to grow in a relationship with the Lord where you start to have the spiritual ability to learn how to recognize the voice of the Lord and what he's saying to you and how he wants to guide you in every situation and every circumstance and and give you direction to tell you where to go and where not to go to tell you what to be careful of and to lead you into what's best for your life and you begin to grow in this process of hearing the voice of the Lord and following what he's telling you to do by responding to him I would say to you this morning what has Jesus been saying to you recently? what's he been saying to you? And let me say in connection to that this, don't listen to the other strange voices that are trying to convince you to do this or persuade you to do that. Listen and trust the voice of Jesus. You can't go wrong if you do that. Let's stand together. Let's pray.